Good morning. Go ahead and grab a seat. I'm so glad you guys are here. My name is Gavin. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, thank you for the patience with the parking this morning. I know it was a hot mess. We got an email on Tuesday that said the parking lot's going to be closed this week. We said, what? They said, yeah, it's going to be closed this week. So we said, well, you better cut down a fence or something. So they cut down a fence. So we got in. We made it. You guys made it. And uh, I don't think anyone got any road rage fights. I don't see any black eyes. So thank you for your patience and grace. You made it into the room. And uh, are you guys dialed in, ready to receive a word this morning? You feel a little shuffly still. Do I need to pray again? We ready to go? All right. John chapter 1. We're going to finish out chapter 1 this morning uh, of the Gospel of John. And what we're going to look at is, is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Remember, we're talking about Jesus. This is not just a religious figure. Of, this is a human being who came to earth in history. And this man sparked this movement that absolutely changed the world. We talked about it two weeks ago. Today, some 2.2 billion people claim to know, love, follow this man, Jesus Christ. Uh, he is the most influential human person in all of human history. He has shaped culture in the world more than anyone to ever live. He sparked a movement that changed the world. So we kind of know the end of the story and that he's coming back again. He's going to rule and reign. But this morning we're going to look at the beginning of the story. And you might ask yourself, okay, God comes to earth as the man Jesus. He's going to spark a worldwide movement. How do you spark a worldwide movement? Well, maybe you hire a marketing team and develop a branding strategy and put together a really slick, well, uh, you know, charted out logo. Maybe you do a social media campaign. Maybe you do some big programs to engage the masses. Maybe you develop some really cutting-edge ministry strategies. And maybe that's how you reach the world. But actually, what we're going to see in chapter 1 is that Jesus starts his ministry very, very different. He starts it very simply. He calls some dudes and says, hey, come be my disciples. He has some friends, some relationships, some dinner, and some discipleship. And through that very small thing, the ends of the earth are changed. So Jesus starts his global ministry, and how does he start it? He calls it by calling a few men. Think about that. Men were his means. Human beings. Yes, as we're going to read in the gospel, we're going to see the crowds come, the miracles come, the masses come. He has a preaching ministry to the masses. All that happens, but his strategy, listen to me, never changes. What does he do? He pulls away from the masses, and he invests in the few. His ministry and mission was about making disciples in the context of community, and he did it in threes and twelves and small groups, and it absolutely changed the course of human history. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples, and he sparked a movement that changed the world. And then at the end of the Gospels, Jesus commissions us with that same ministry. He says, hey, church, you're not just a crowd. You now are to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so we as the church receive that same mission and ministry. We are to be what? Disciple makers. That's why as a church, we've said from the beginning, our mission statement, why we exist is to multiply disciples and churches. That's it. Our North Star, the proverbial you know, North Star that we're running after is not bigger buildings and more crowds and bigger bank. All that stuff makes me want to quit my job. <laughs> crowds, buildings, budgets, doesn't matter. That's not what we're after. All of that is but infrastructure to support what? Disciple making. This whole thing is about disciples making disciples that know, love, follow, worship Jesus and would tell the world to do the same thing. 
And so the question is, church, if we are to be this disciple-making movement, how are we going to do it? If we're going to reach Omaha with the gospel, if we're going to reach the ends of the earth with the good news of Jesus Christ, how are we going to do it? What I want to propose to you this morning is that Jesus' method still works. (laughs) Individuals inviting and investing in individuals. Relationships, friendships, discipleship, and coming together. That's how we are going to carry the gospel forward to the ends of the earth. So I don't want us to confuse the scope of the mission with the means of the mission. Are you with me? The scope of the mission, huge. Ends of the earth. We want everyone to know about Jesus. The means of the mission, simple and small. One person at a time, telling people about Jesus, investing in them, walking in relationship. And that's how the kingdom of God advances in and through the world. And so this morning, uh, we're going to be in John. We're going to end out the chapter. We're going to look at Jesus starting his ministry. And I believe it is to us a model for how we would continue on his ministry of making disciples. And I just want to say today absolutely matters. Um, I get a little bit insecure when I preach these sermons sometimes because I I so want to tell you what Jesus has done for you, and and that is what this is about. And yet Jesus has an assignment uh, to us, and that is not arduous or burdensome bad news. That's the best invitation of our lives, that we could be swept into a worldwide movement and be a part of a ministry to make Jesus' name and fame known to the ends of the earth. And so this morning is an invitation to see Christianity not just as a Sunday hobby, not just you pray a prayer, you know, try to live a little bit better life and then go to church on Sunday. But it's the invitation of our lives to join into a disciple-making movement to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so let's just walk through our text this morning. I, uh, I did not put together a slick, alliterated outline. We're going to go old school Bible study, okay? We're going to go verse by verse. We got the organ, Lawrence. I'm going to preach verse by verse. We're going to go old school church and uh, just walk through it. And so uh, we're going to start at 35, go on the way down. By the way, it's really hot up here. I don't know if someone has the AC key, but I'm going to be sweating by the end of this if we don't get the AC on. So here we go. Uh, so we're going to start in verse 35, and let's watch how Jesus starts his public ministry. Verse 35. It says, The next day again, John, this John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. You see how it all started? How did it start? John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the first dude to figure out the point of Jesus. And then he spends the rest of his life pointing people to Jesus. And so John simply says, hey, there's the Lamb of God. And John, our eclectic, uh, eclectic, eccentric, hipster guy with the bugs in his beard, he's got a school, he's got some students, and he tells them, that's the guy you want to follow. He's the one. So two of John's disciples go, Oh, he's the teacher? Yeah, he's the teacher. So they follow him. So now Jesus has two disciples. Pretty cutting-edge ministry right there. Here we go, verse 38. How does it progress? Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Let me unpack that really quick. These are Jesus' very first words in the whole gospel. And he asked, What do you want? What are you seeking? That was an invitation for them to express their intent. Why are you following me? And by the way, sometimes I think we ought to pause and say, if Jesus were to ask me that, what do I want? What is the invitation? What what am I hoping to get out of this whole Jesus thing? That's what what Jesus asked them. And they say, Rabbi, where where are you going? Rabbi, as it says, means teacher. They're saying, hey, we want to learn from you. John, our old teacher, said that you're the new teacher, and we want to follow you. And so they ask, uh, where are you staying? Now, by the way, where are you staying in that culture 
um, wasn't just, you know, they're making small talk, like, so what apartment you in? Um, it would have actually been an invitation over to dinner. Uh, they're saying, hey, we, we want to come to your place. We want to do some, uh, you know, share a meal with you. We want to spend some time together. And so it goes on, verse 39. It says, and he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And so Jesus is on board. He says, come, see where I'm staying. Let's go eat a meal together. He received their invitation to be their rabbi, and so he's going to teach them. They will be his disciples. He will be their teacher, their disciple maker. I want you to notice how Jesus starts his ministry. If he's going to be their teacher, notice that he doesn't just put them in a classroom and start disseminating information. He doesn't start downloading theology. He doesn't have a PowerPoint right away. He doesn't preach a sermon. What does he do? He says, come and see. Let's go have dinner at my place. About the 10th hour, that would be about 4 p.m. So they're going to go. They're going to go to Jesus' apartment or wherever he's staying, and they're going to share a meal together. And I think what Jesus is showing us is that discipleship doesn't happen at a distance. He says, hey, come to my house. Let's eat, let's eat a meal together. Discipleship happens when people come into proximity. You know, in our culture, we're so divorced from human engagement and interaction. Even Chris is on his phone right now while I preach. We're so <laughs> addicted to these devices. And we can download some of the best content in the world. I love Gospel Coalition. I read all of their articles, such good stuff. I watch sermons, all this stuff. That's not at its core discipleship. It's great to get a good information, read articles, all of that. But discipleship happens what? When people come into proximity. If it was important enough for God to bring people in community and to eat a meal and to share life, should it not be the same for you and for me? And for Jesus, that's how it all begins. Just a couple dudes, two dudes coming over for dinner. Ordinary dudes, nothing fancy, no cutting-edge technology, all of that. Dudes having dinner, and guess what? That invitation to dinner changed their whole lives and sparked a movement that changed the whole world that catches up all the way with you and me. We are the great-grandchildren of this dinner that Jesus had with the first two disciples. Now watch what happens, verse 40. This is one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. What does he do? He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, Hey, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So now there's a third guy. There's a new guy. Andrew goes, as soon as he meets Jesus, says, Hey, I got a brother. Here's my brother. Brother, come and see Jesus. And so Peter's part of the gang now. And I, I love that every, just about every time we see Andrew in the Gospels, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. That's how it all got started. Some of you are like an Andrew. I know some of you. You're an inviter. You're an includer. There's always someone new with you. You're always inviting someone to your city group. You're always inviting someone to church. And I want you to know that is an amazing ministry. To be an Andrew, to say, come and see, come and join us, that can absolutely change eternity for a lot of people. Um, I've told the story, uh, became a Christian, started walking with Jesus late in high school. Grew up, you know, a nominal Christian background, but it all came together for me late in high school. Met Jesus studying the book of Romans. And um, I went to that Bible study. Why? Because someone invited me. My motives were all wrong. I went because there was a cute girl. So they're like, you want to go to a Bible study? Well, is she going to be there? Yeah, well, then I'm coming. And so my motives were all wrong, but Jesus' providential motives were perfectly right online. 
And so I follow a girl to a Bible study, and I read the Bible, and I read Romans, and I meet Jesus, and he changes my life. And why was I there? Because someone, an Andrew in my life, said, hey, we're doing a Bible study. Do you want to go? I would not be walking with Jesus. City Light probably would not have been planted if it wasn't for that first person that said, hey, I'm going to a Bible study. Do you want to come? Yeah, I think I'll come. So let me encourage you. If you have the ministry of an Andrew, an inviter, an includer, a bringer, that's how the kingdom of God moves forward. You just say, come and see. You don't know what God's going to do. You don't know the story he's going to write. But that's Andrew. He says, Peter, come follow me. Now, who's Peter? He goes on to be the leader of all the apostles. He's the number one stunner, right? Look at verse 42 again. It says that uh, Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, or he says, uh, uh, Simon, I'm going to name you Cephas, which means Peter, Petros. In other words, he gives them a WWF nickname. You're going to be the rock, brother. You're going to be... You're going to be the rock, which is really interesting, by the way, because Peter was the opposite of solid at this point in this house. As we're going to read in the Gospels, he is the loose cannon, loose tongue, wish-washy, kite in the wind. He's thinking this and then that, and uh, he's been called the disciple with the, with the foot-shaped mouth. He says dumb stuff, takes it back. I don't know any other pastors that are like that, but he's this guy. Oh, this is going to be a fun morning. We're just going to keep going with this. Love you, boo. Off your phone, bro. Um, this guy is, <laughs> is, is all over the map. And yet Jesus takes this guy who everyone else would look over for leadership potential. And he sees something in him and says, you're going to be the rock. You're going to be a stable foundation. You're going to be one of the apostles that this whole movement gets built on. And he looked at him and he saw something. He called it out and he spoke it in. That happened for me uh, with a guy named Bob Walls. As I said, he became a Christian in late high school, show up at UNL. I know Jesus loves me. He died for me. I want to live for him, but that's all I know. I don't know my way around the Bible. I don't know theological up from down, left from right. I don't know how to have a daily quiet time or walk with Jesus. All those phrases are foreign to me. I just know I love Jesus. And Bob sits down with me, Bob Walls. Simple dude. Doesn't have a big Bible degree. Doesn't make a whole bunch of money. Doesn't have a big social media following. Ordinary dude. Sits me down and teaches me how to walk with Jesus. Here's how you read your Bible. Share a meal, buy me some tacos, show me how to have a quiet time. Meet up the next week, have a dessert, teach me how to share my faith. Get together, memorize scripture. And I'm telling you, this is 16 years ago. The things he invested in me are the very same things that sustain my daily walk with God right now. He saw something in me. And I'm telling you, if it wasn't for Bob, some 16 years ago, I don't think I would have planted City Light either. But he taught me some basics, some fundamentals. And if he didn't sit down an 18-year-old acne-filled nobody from Waverly and invest in me, again, I don't don't know that this story would have been written in City Light and and the whole thing. And it's cool how this story ends. So Bob's one of my old mentors, first guys that called out some leadership in me. And so when God called us to plant a church in Lincoln last May, guess who we called to be an elder of the church? Bob Walls. We got a fun picture. This is, this is me and my boy Bob Walls. Some 16 years later, he's now preaching at City Light Lincoln on a regular basis. He's kind of overseeing their whole staff team and investing and discipling them. And uh, who would have thought 16 years ago? But you see that way that works? One moron from Waverly. You sit down and invest in them, and it, and it builds this network of relationships and ministry that can, that can have profound impact. That was Bob in my life. 
So isn't that cool? City Light isn't the product of some slick training program, an awesome online tutorial for how to... It's the product of ordinary people investing in ordinary people who go on to invest ordinary people. That's the secret sauce. Relationships, people, shaking hands, being normal, eating a sandwich, talking about how to hear from Jesus, reading our Bibles, inviting and investing. And so Jesus' is day one in public ministry, are there fireworks? Is it amazing? Did he launch the big program? No, he met three dudes and had dinner. <laughs> okay, there we go. Well, let's look at day two. Certainly the big media campaign comes out in day two. Let's look, 43. Website launching. Let's see, 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Okay, so we got a fourth dude in the mix. His name's Philip. Now, Philip's story is a little bit different. Um, he wasn't, you know, invited by someone. Jesus just kind of goes out and, and finds him, says, boom, you follow me. So Philip's in. Uh, how many of you have that testimony? For some of us, it's not like I didn't have that Bob or that one inviter. It's just God started to draw me in, started to check it out, and I believed. A lot of us have that testimony as well. But watch this. Notice that even though Jesus directly called Philip, he had some relational connections that tied him into this movement. Uh, John goes out of his way to show us this. Look at verse 44. John gives us a whole verse. It says, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Who are Andrew and Peter? The first two dudes. So John's showing us, okay, Jesus invites him, but he's saying, oh, I know you and I know you. We're from the same small town. You guys seem reasonable. Are you following him? You are? Is he the Messiah? He is? All right, I'm in. Okay, so now we got four guys. You see how that worked out? Very simple. Relationship and invitation. I know these guys, and so now we got four dudes. Now let's look at the new dude. Philip's a new guy. He just showed up at the Bible study. He's brand new to this program. Let's watch what he does. Verse 45, very next verse. It says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In other words, hey, you've been reading your Old Testament Bible. It talks about some Savior Messiah. He found him. It's Jesus from Nazareth. Now, look how Nathanael responds. Verse 46. It says, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. I love this because Nathaniel's a skeptic. Number one, he understands the nature of the town Nazareth, right? We've been there before. Think Wayne State. It's a logical question. <laughs> what is a town like that capable of producing? That's Nathaniel's first question. Uh, number two, I, I think, and you're going to see why, I think it's actually a little more theologically rooted. I think this Nathaniel knows his Old Testament. I think this guy's a Bible reader. I'm going to show you why. The next verses show us. Because I think in, in addition to understanding no good can come out of a town and product like that, he's also saying, you know, the Old Testament says the Savior would come from where? Bethlehem. And he doesn't know the whole story. He doesn't know that Jesus actually went to Bethlehem for the census and then went down to Egypt and then landed uh, in Nazareth to swing a hammer with his old man. He just knows, oh, he's from Nazareth? I'm skeptical. He's skeptical. And then notice how Philip responds to his skepticism. What does he say? Come and see. He doesn't rebut all of his claims. He doesn't get into a theological argument. He may not know the answers. He's just saying, I don't know. He just came up and said to follow me. He's the Savior and the Messiah. So I followed him. And what does Philip say? He says, we'll come and see. And then watch what happens. Watch how Jesus takes over this relationship. Verse 47. It says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. And he said of him, behold, an Israelite 
indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathan said to him, how do you know me? You don't know me. Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And then look at verse 49. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Okay, how does Jesus overcome his skepticism so quick? Did you notice that? All he says is, uh, your name's Nathaniel. Before Philip was there, I saw you under the fig tree. Well, I think there's something to that phrase, under the fig tree, because John was intentional to put it in there. And I did a little homework, and most commentators believe that what that meant, what he was doing under the fig tree, was reading his Bible. And here's how we know that. In that day, first century, they did not have air conditioners. It was like preaching in the Omar. You can get a little hot, get a little sweaty. So they would study their Bibles, but in the heat of the summer, they would actually go outside where it was a little bit cooler. And men would study the scriptures sitting underneath the fig tree. They would enjoy its shade and the, and the relief and reprieve from the heat of the desert sun that it would provide. And so the phrase, under the fig tree, became a sort of a euphemism in that culture for studying the scripture. Brother's got a scroll. Oh, where's dad? He's under the fig tree. He's having his quiet time. He's reading his Bible. Furthermore, I think we're actually going to find out, most probably, what scripture Nathaniel was reading. Let me show you. Go to verse 50. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Verse 51, and he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. If you're new to your Bibles, you're going, what does that even mean? I think that's the key to understanding what Nathan was studying. If you know the book of Genesis, chapter 28, that phrase should sound very familiar to you. It's Jacob's ladder. Steve's with me. It's Jacob's ladder. Jacob was one of the patriarchs of the faith, and uh, Jacob was a deceiver. He stole the birthright from his brother. He's on the run. He's out in the wilderness. He's in one of the greatest moments of despair and isolation of his whole life. He's on the run. Dust comes. He's got nowhere to stay. He's sleeping in the middle of nowhere, sleeps on a rock. And in the most broken moment of his life, God gives him a vision in a dream wherein he sees a ladder that goes up to heaven and heaven opens up. And it says the angels of God ascended and descended on that ladder. Now notice what Jesus says. He says, you're going to see greater things. Oh, you thought that was cool that I saw you reading the Bible? No, I know what verse. And furthermore, it was about me. That's what he's saying. You are going to see greater things. You are going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascend and descend, but not on a ladder. On what? The Son of Man. He's saying, I'm Jacob's ladder. You were reading that verse. I am the place where heaven touches earth. Jacob had this vision of of, of a holy God opening the heaven and ministering to his people. This bridge, this divide, this thing that would bridge the chasm between God and man. It was a ladder. He's saying, I'm the ladder. I have come. I am the the bridge, the ladder between a holy God and, and man. That phrase, the son of man, is right out of Daniel 2. And again, Nathaniel knows the old book. He knows the Old Testament. Uh, The son of man was Daniel's phrase for the coming Messiah. And it was Jesus' favorite nickname of himself. I am the son of man. He is the Messiah who has come. And so Jesus actually preaches the gospel directly to Nathan. He says, you're going to see this. And of course, Nathan goes on to follow him. Nathaniel, we think his other name is Bartholomew. The other gospels refer to him as... And, of course, they will see the culmination of Jesus' life and ministry. And Nathan will see the Son of Man on a cross. Cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He will see Jesus go into a tomb. Nathan will see Jesus rise again victorious and appear to them. And all of a sudden, he's seen Jacob's ladder. 
the bridge between heaven and earth. Saying, Nathaniel, I'm the bridge between heaven and earth. So sometimes it's amazing. Our little invitation of come and see is all it takes because Jesus kind of takes over and does the rest. I've seen this happen in my own life too. Uh, When I was a senior in college, uh, I had a couple classes with this German kid named Till. And super funny, eclectic guy. And we got to know each other. And again, he's from Germany. He's maybe the smartest human being I've ever met. And he was a committed atheist when we met. And so we're connecting over school and business and economics, and we'd study together. And I told Till that I was a Christian, and he told me that was the dumbest thing he had ever heard. (laughs) And I remember him actually saying, you seem kind of smart. This doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I mean, this is, you're a Christian? Yeah, I'm I'm a Christian. And so that sparked this conversation that we had over the course of months, and we would talk about Jesus, and we would talk about sin, and we would talk about God and all this stuff. And he had all these skeptical and cynical questions for me, and he would ask me questions, and I didn't know the answer to about 85% of them. He was way smarter than me, and I just said, you know what, just, just come and see. Just come and see. So we were buddies. He would come to the college ministry with me. He would come on Sunday morning church with me. He would come to my small group Bible study with me, and I said, read this book. Let's do this. Just come and see. Let's figure it out. I don't know. And I remember I read a book, a Christian book that was really popular at the time. I thought it was super insightful. I thought, oh, Till might like this book. I need to give Till this book. So I called Till, said, Till, I'd like you to read a book. Come over to my house and get the book. So he came over to my house uh, on 60th and Pacific Street. said, come over and get the book. So he came over to get the book, and I handed him the book, and he opened the book, and out of the book fell a gospel tract. Okay. Now, if you've lived in the Christian world, you know what a gospel tract is. It, it essentially is a little booklet that explains kind of the, just the core truths of the Bible. There is a God. He loves you. You have sinned. What's the problem with that? What has Jesus done? How do you receive Jesus and walk with him? And, you know, all things, I just, full disclosure, I was a little skeptical and cynical towards track evangelism at the time. I, I, I thought, ah, oh, what are these things? You know, people hand these out, out of the context of relationship. It's just so annoying. And the only reason I had the track was because someone gave it to me uh, at the school cafeteria, didn't know I was a Christian, and I thought, okay, well, that's silly, but it's a good size for a bookmark, so I used it as a bookmark for my book. I didn't actually ever read it. It just was a bookmark. But I give the book to Till, and the track falls out, and he starts to read through it. And I was almost embarrassed because I was like, dude, I did not put that in there like, you know, whoa, what fell out? Ah." (laughs) In fact, it wasn't, I mean, we were way down the road. We had talked about everything in the track. It was not awkward. I was like, oh, it's a bookmark. And he starts flipping through it, and I'm like, whatever. And he gets to the last page, and it has Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10, which says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He who opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and him with me. And which, by the way, is not an evangelistic verse. That's ripped completely out of context. Doesn't matter. <laughs> he reads this verse, and he goes, and it's the at German accent, Johnson, that's it. I said, what's it? He said, that's what Jesus has been doing. I said, what, what has Jesus been doing? He's been knocking on my heart. I need to open the door to my heart. <laughs> I thought... I thought he was kidding me. I mean, that's so cheesy, cliche, like, am I in a Christian movie? Is this candid camera? Like... <laughs> This happens in the movie. This doesn't actually happen with, like, real human beings. And I, for real, I thought he was mocking me. I thought he was mocking the track. And I said, for real? He's like, yeah, this whole conversation, everything, that's been Jesus knocking on my heart. I need to open the door to my heart. And I'm still a little skeptical, like, waiting for him to bust out laughing. And I said, so do you want to pray and tell Jesus you want to open your heart to him? And he's in tears. He goes, yeah. 
what in the world? So we prayed right there till this intellectual European hardened atheist is in tears praying to receive Jesus as his savior. <laughs> Bible track. I think that's Nathan's story. I was Philip. I didn't know what to say. I, I, I just knew I couldn't be intimidated. I just have to say, come and see. Just come and see. And Jesus does this amazing miracle in Nathan's life. And same thing with Till. I, I felt like we jumped over 19,000 steps to get to praying to receive Jesus, but he did. And the kid knows Jesus now, lives in Singapore, the whole, the whole deal. So listen, I think if there's anything we learn from some of these first verses, it's that, man, not two people come to Jesus in the same way. It's different for all of us. And I can't guarantee you if you've got a till in your life, if you just say come and see, they're going to come and stumble upon a Bible track and pray to receive Jesus in tears. Like, but maybe they will. Right? That's the point. Our ministry, come and see. Here's what I know. Let's have a meal. Let's have a conversation. And we trust Jesus to do the rest. That's Nathaniel. So now Jesus has five dudes. And that's the end of chapter one. 17 verses. He's assembled his team. He's two days into public ministry. And uh, there's nothing really to get excited and preach and jump up and down about. <laughs> so I think, well, what's, what do we take away from this? Well, I think what we learn from this is that Jesus' ministry, though the, the, the scope of the mission is huge, the means of that ministry are very simple and small. Friendship, relationships, dinner, discipleship. I'm just convinced it's not through big programs. It's through normal human beings who are good friends have honest conversation, that's the way the kingdom of God moves forward, one at a time, inviting and investing. And so uh, let me give just a few points of application, and then we're going to respond in in communion. Number one, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, some of you today need to become a disciple. You just need to become a Christian. And so I would ask you, are you here today because an Andrew in your life brought you? Someone said, come and see. Come check this out. Come to my church community. Come read the Bible. Come to my city group. Is it possible that an Andrew brought you here, but now a Jesus is working in your heart? If that's the case, would you surrender your life to him? What we learn is he is Jacob's ladder. He's the only way to heaven, right? Uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, There's no other name given uh, unto man by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. And so I want to just say to you, if providentially God has brought you here through an Andrew, would you not leave until you have trusted Jesus? To be a disciple means to, to listen to, trust, follow, abide in, receive love Jesus. And so don't leave today until you've trusted Jesus. I'm going to pray in a second. There will be uh, prayer volunteers in the back during communion, and they would love to pray that same prayer uh, that I prayed with till so many years ago. Uh, So that's number one. Become a Christian if you're not, okay? Number two, I implore you. Uh, Number two, City Light is a church. I want to say we have a lot of work to do, okay? I celebrate the good grace that God has shown us, but the most recent census data said that in our town, 49% of Omaha's population self-identifies as completely non-religious whatsoever. Uh, 25% Roman Catholic, 12% Evangelical Christian. Which however you slice that, we have a lot of work to do in our city. Been driving to church on Sundays in this town for 14 years and I haven't once been caught in a traffic jam. There's no one on the roads on Sunday. And that's pathetic. I dream of the day in my lifetime that the busiest these streets are Ever is Sunday mornings. As we come to worship Jesus, exalt Jesus. I pray that the madness of 45th and Nicholas when the parking lot is shut down would be representative of our whole city on Sunday mornings. That Jesus would be famous here. But listen, I'm more convinced than ever that that doesn't happen through clever marketing campaigns and million dollar websites and bumper stickers and all that. It happens through you and me. 
relationships, sincere friendships, dinner, discipleship, inviting and investing in one another. Um, And so I want to do that. Number three, uh, I want to say, if you're not in a city group, this is kind of how we work out this community discipleship thing as a church. And be real honest, it was, it was refreshing to study this passage this week, this week. It simply reminded me of why we started this church. It's not about the crowd and the programs. and all. It's about making disciples. We gather simply on Sunday. We scatter in community to love each other, make disciples, and be a light to our city. And so I, I, wanna, I just want to ask you, are there communities that you exist in where you're being intentional to grow as a disciple and make disciples? Now, some of you are like city group rebels. You're like, oh, I don't do city groups. I have real friends. That's awesome. You do that. We don't want to be city group Nazis. You're free to do that as long as discipleship is actually happening, okay? As long as people are meeting Jesus, growing with Jesus. If not, city groups aren't the thing, but they are a way that we have set up to do that. And I'm just convinced that we're not going to reach our city by launching another building and another program. It's going to be us in this room being salt and light. Being, relation, being in relationships, dinner, and discipleship like our Lord. I'm just convinced the way Jesus did it works. Amen? Last thing. While we do have a lot of work to do, I just, I'm also encouraged reading this text. I want to say thank you to you guys. We launched this church four years ago, and God has worked. You guys have been serious about building relationships, pouring into one another. My Facebook thread is loaded with community happening, city groups being together, eating meals, studying the Bible. And because of that, guess what? We've grown to almost 2,000 people on any, any given Sunday. We've had three daughter churches. Uh, City Light Lincoln launches this morning. City Light Exarban will be the fourth uh, church plant. Um, we've had almost 400 people get baptized through this community. God is on the move. It's incredible. And guess what? It's not because we spent a billion dollars on some slick program, campaign, website, none of that. It's been people investing in people, individually sh- uh, individuals investing in individuals, discipleship, meals, Bible study, the gritty stuff of life, walking with each other, and inviting people in. So City Light, I just want to say good job. Good job. Let's go at it. There is no greater privilege that, that we can invest our lives in but then making Jesus known and teaching people how to be his disciples. Uh, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for investing in these men. John and Peter, Philip and Nathaniel, and for telling them to invest in others. Because you did that, Jesus, we stand here today. Someone told us we are downstream of these relationships. I'm thankful for the Bob Walls in my life, who took a nobody from nowhere, who was a little socially awkward, and thought enough to invest in that person. Now God is our turn. The, the proverbial baton is in our hands. And we look at a culture that's kind of confused and angry right now, and a lot going on. And every, They just need to know that Jesus is on the throne that he is king. I pray that we would be like John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God. I pray that we would be like Andrew, come and see, that we would be salt and that we would be light and that you would do a good work in our city. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.